no, 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 it's your turn. No, new year, new me, it's, it's your turn. <laughs> new year, new decade, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, we can't keep doing this. For a duo. No, 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 it's your turn. Okay, Stop. guys, guys, let's just, I'll do the intro, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. My name is Kitty Jamala, and you're listening to I Think She's Offside. Hey, <laughs> Kitty Jamala. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Me and Lip have been like hyping you up for weeks on end. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Let's you know, intro- you, you know what? No, no. Let's intro you properly because, guys, we've got a legend. Stop here. it. Tell you Stop. Sunday it. time, young sports person of the year. That's not even it. <laughs> That's, That's not even it. That's not even it. <laughs> Magnolia Cup winner. What else? Stop it. Stop Plenty it. of awards going around. Stop I heard it. that you've been busy at awards like because you know you've got new number, new me, new year. Is that, <laughs> is that you? You were also at the BBC um, Sports Personality of the Year award. I saw I that was. too. Did you see the memes I... online? <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get into oh that. Later. We're gonna get into that later <laughs> on. But Khadija, tell us. It's been such a crazy year for you. But let's rewind to life before. Um, I said horse riding. You told me that it's actually not the correct term. So, it's more horse racing. Horse racing. Yeah. So you're a jockey. Pretty much. I mean, I'm training at the moment to get my license, but the blanket statement is sort of jockey. But uh, earlier last or towards the end of last year, you were the first hijab wearing uh, Muslim to win the Magnolia Cup, which is a is it? So it's a charity horse ride horse jockey. No. It's a, it's a charity race. Well done. Charity race. Um, yeah, it's a charity race. But basically, um, I don't think whilst I was training, they were documenting my progress. Yeah. And then the guy that was um, in charge of my documentary, he was like, "Hold on a second. Has anyone ever raced in a hijab before? Um, ever in, in the UK?" And then they did a. We all did a Google search to try and figure out whether there's been anyone. Yeah. And then they were like, "Oh wow, she's actually the first Muslim female to ride in the UK." So it just was it kind of an accident that just happened. So it wasn't like you set out to be the first hijab. Oh, it was no, just no, no. I just love riding horses, and it just happened to be that no one's done it before. Oh. I didn't even know. I expected there was like some I don't know, Sara or Fatima out there. So tell me, so, but, so you, but you only started that. Considering you um, won the cup late last year, you only started professional well, and charity semi, riding, yeah. yeah, semi-professional riding, a little bit before that. Um, yeah, yeah, I only started in April. That was when my full-time training started. Well, full-time. I mean, I was trying to do my A levels, um, but as soon as my A levels finished, I was into full-time training. Um, but before then, I was just riding once a week at Ebony Horse Club, which was sort of like my sort of the riding club in, in Brixton and London that I just love riding at so it was like a hobby so you say it's a hobby but like my thing so I, so I grew up just outside London and to me like normal everyday hobbies are playing football <laughs> you know like maybe playing cricket at times you, just you know like not like everyday the sports that like, people have yeah. heard of or you've done in your school system but horse riding is quite unusual so what, how did you manage to get yourself into that? it's a bit of a weird one because I like since I was really really young I've loved horses I don't know where it came from I think it was probably to do with I don't know I just loved animals and horses just seemed so big and majestic and like the thought of be, like connecting with such a, a like a, a massive and powerful like animal was just really cool to me and also like I just thought the horses were beautiful um, and we lived next to a stable for a bit ages ago when we, were, we lived in like 
um, Kent. And then my mum and my dad took me to the stables once and I loved it. Um, but it was really expensive. So then when we moved back to London, it was really difficult to get to. And then we heard about Ebony Horse Club, which is in Brixton. And it's like 15 minutes away from me and I cycle there all the time. And I like signed up like as soon as possible. I was on the waiting list for ages. Um, but when I finally got in, like it was really great because I actually learned to take care of horses as well as ride them. So, so how old are you when you first started? I started there when I was 12. Yeah, and then all my siblings joined, and it was just like the Mella gang at Ebony. <laughs> like horse riding is seen as like an upper class thing. Yeah. Like when you look at horse riding, anything to do with horse riding, even equestrian quest- quest- sports. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's like the upper class, middle upper class. So, ha- what was your look on that? Well, to me, it was a case of if it's something that I love, it shouldn't really matter what class I'm in. Um, but it was a, it was obviously an issue because, you know, riding horses is, is expensive, so it tends to only, like, reach people who are wealthy, which tends to be the middle class and upper class people. Um, but that's why Ebony Horse Club was made, because it's a charity club and the, the cost of riding horses is subsidised loads, and it allows people who aren't wealthy to ride horses, so that's why it's such an amazing club. That sounds so good. Like... When you were younger, did you ever think that you'd get into it, like, 100% like this? Like, I was very adamant that at some point I will be riding horses frequently because I was so persistent with my dad. I was literally, t- I told my dad, I will, like, I'll get a job and, and, like, make my own money to, like, share a horse in Bromley. And I was looking on, like, Gumtree, and, because they have horses on Gumtree that you can just, like, share and loan. I'm, I'm laughing because... <laughs> I imagine t- you could buy a lot of things from Gumtree and horses just isn't one of the things I imagine. Maybe a rocking horse, you know, would be one of the things I'd look for, but Yeah, a no, horse I genuinely was one of them kids. I don't, I, there's not even one of them kids, is there? I was just a kid that was on Gumtree looking for a horse to share, so, yeah. So before um, you started, I know when horse riding <coughs> was a big part of your life, but before that, were, were you interested in any other sports growing up, or was it just primarily focused on that? No, I was into everything under the sun. Like, I played every single sport you could You're think one of. of those people. Yeah, I was <laughs> one of those weird kids that literally would spend every every waking moment, like, trying to do some kind of nonsense sport. Like, my mum got... <laughs> my mum... My mum got really... Like, she was really forward in, like... She made me do karate when I was young, and that was the first main sport I did. And I did that for six years. And me and my brother reached Black Belt, and then I started oh, teaching... Wow. And then I didn't really like teaching. <laughs> so then I stopped. <laughs> um, and then I did uh, football for a bit. And then I did cricket. And then I did rounders and rugby. And then I threw javelin for Lewisham. And then wow. I did rowing for two years. Very imp- you've got a very impressive sporting season. <laughs> like, you were adamant to be successful in one sport, regardless. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, my favourite sports had to be... I've just started boxing. Boxing is what I love at the moment. Nice. <laughs> yeah, bit of a weird one. <laughs> Next week we'll see, you and you'll be like, "Yeah, lacrosse." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love polo. <laughs> oh, but that's it makes sense Ebony. though. Oh, it makes okay. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's one of my favourite sports. You won't you won't realise it, but it's actually really difficult. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, that's really cool. What about um, growing up, like in terms of your? Because I I think me and Lippa talk about this a lot. Um, I think there's this narrative around being. Muslim or being ethnic minority that 
um, we're always breaking barriers and we're always, you know, the ones who are breaking the glass ceiling. We're always breaking something, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, never, it's never like, we're not breaking peaceful. a window with the yeah, football. Yeah, do you know, because <laughs> we're never peacefully that, getting through life. Like, it's never like, yeah. um, because I think, the, um, which is it also, I guess, it's just <coughs> part of the narrative. I think when someone sells your narrative, you start to follow it through as well. Like, um, there's all this storyline about, yeah, there is a lot of Muslims and ethnic minorities who aren't supported in their kind of career path. But growing up for yourself, are your parents quite supportive of you doing sports and encouraging? My mum was adamant I get out of the house and do stuff. Like, from an early age, it was like swimming, let's go swimming, let's go out to the park. Like, my, both my parents were very like outdoorsy people. Yeah. On holidays, we had like a little camper van, we went around the UK to different national parks like my parents are very outdoorsy people so that was sort of ingrained in my childhood and distilled as I was growing up that I should be active because it's healthy yeah Um, and I feel like that's just basic parenting and unfortunately some people don't get that opportunity or their parents aren't there for them and stuff but I was my parents were really supportive I love that I think that's so so cool like we always talk about um, parental support and how great it is. Like my mum, oh my bless her, she's got no idea. Like half of she literally like. Into, if you say to my mum what does Fadima do right now, she'd be like, I think she's a PE teacher. And I'm, mm, you're a bit off the mark. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like close, but you're not really that close. But growing up, like similar, like my life was pretty much like you had to be outside as much as you could. And I see. I'm not gonna lie, my parent, my mum thought of it as like a cheapest form of babysitting, like, just Yeah, chuck. that's yeah, you know, like when you, you have, there's a lot of kids. To just get in the park and she'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> and especially when there's like, a lot of kids in the house, like we've, we're, I'm one of four in my immediate house and it's kind of like, oh, I see. Oh, yeah, let's just send you all well. off to like to a the football park, club because like, it's so much oh, cheaper than hiring yeah. a nanny. So that's kind of how they did it. But no, it's really, really cool. So Plus there's actually, when you, if you look, if you look for it, there's loads of, um, clubs about that are free and have loads of activities for kids so so okay so we've spoken a little bit about your life beforehand so talk to me about when you started competing or when you were st- and working towards competing for the Magnolia Cup how was that process and did you always kind of have that internal belief that you were going to win it and um, were you expecting to do really as well as you did um, the start of my training didn't go well so from the offset, I didn't think that I was gonna, I didn't even know I was gonna pass the assessments. And because I didn't pass my first assessment and the instructor was a bit like, he was really like blunt and he was like, you should wait another year. Um, I don't think you should race this year. Um, I don't know why you came. And I was like, right oh, then, no. <laughs> Richard, <laughs> ouch. Um, but in the end, I still thought that because of my horse and the amount of training, I just assumed that I'd be like four, fifth maybe um obviously like growing up i was really competitive but i didn't think that i'd actually win so did it knock your confidence down like you thought oh i'll give it a go and then someone that you thought might have your side actually he was just a really brutal assessor and like what can you do yeah i mean to be fair what knocked my confidence a lot was like as you're training each horse you sit on responds differently yeah and like i wasn't picking up the horse racing sort of like skill very well because like it normally takes years of practice to sort of understand what to do and what not to do and racehorses are so different different to normal school horses I didn't really understand it and then when I got on these horses they just like go nuts and then go crazy and like take off with me and I just had no control so I felt like you know if I don't have control how am I going to race like they're not going to let me pass and that's what happened on my first assessment I lost control fell off um, and it just was really bad. <laughs> like holding the horse at the beginning, is yeah. that hard? 
Um, on the horse I was on, it was <clears throat> it was fine because yeah. I knew Haviland. Haviland was such a, like a chilled out horse that he wouldn't do anything bad ever. Yeah. Um, but there were so many other horses that I'd sit on, and like my arms would literally get yanked off. And I there's a lot of horses that I've ridden, at, like in different yards that were really really strong and powerful. And like <laughs> there was this one horse I rode in Epsom uh, for a trainer called Simon Dow, and they had put the horse on like um, a, uh, what's it called? What do you call um I have no a idea. Sedative. Oh okay, there oh, we what? go. Sorry. Like like oh, a sedative, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The horse was on a sedative. Oh shit. And like so it was doped up, so it was relaxed and so it's supposed to be more relaxed than normal. Yeah. And chilled out. Mm-hmm. And I still got t- taken off with. Imagine if you didn't have that. Imagine where you would yeah. have gone. <laughs> um and that was just really bad. Um but yeah, race horses are really strong, some of them are really powerful and <laughs> it's really hard to hold them. Like I might might sound ignorant here, but when I look at jockey riding, it looks simple to the eye. It's so not. But then, <laughs> like you just said, it's hard to just hold the horse. Imagine the horse moving with momentum. How hard that would be as well. I guess that's with other sports though. Like if you think about the concept of football, all, it, <laughs> all we do is kick a, a ball. As a concept, <laughs> it's literally like you kick a ball, which is so there's a lot more going into on. a massive net. And yeah. there's one person standing in the middle with mm-hmm. like, you know, 11 scattered, 10 scattered people on the pitch. <laughs> so, and you, like, it's all sports, I think, when you when you think about them, it sounds like a very easy concept, mm-hmm. but there is a level to skill, a level of skill to each and every sport. So, I'm not surprised you found it difficult at first. And I'm, I think it's really impressive the fact that despite how your first assessment went and how disheartening that was, you still kind of thought, no, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, you came back and obviously you went on to succeed on it. But how was um, that process having to come back for the second? Did that kind of make you a bit hesitant in your second test or a bit more? Or did you feel better prepared? I felt uneasy, I think, because because of the fact that so many people had put had invested so much into me and my story. And, like, there was so much riding on it. I, like, I felt like getting a second chance was such a big deal. And if I messed up my second tr- my second chance, then I, I would have been like so gutted. So it just meant that my second assessment, there was just that much more pressure. Um, and I just really, really wanted to pass. Like I couldn't, I remember on the second assessment day, I just like was so, I was so ready to give everything to pass because I just really wanted to pass. So I guess it's one of those situations where you kind of thrived off the pressure because you managed to successfully do well. But yeah, no, on my on the failure of my first assessment, like I was so down about it. I remember crying to like everyone I know. What what I do really admire about you is the fact that despite, you know, how difficult it was in terms of the first assessment and all the pressure you felt on the second assessment, you still passed it and then went on to do the race. But I guess from someone that isn't involved in horse racing at all, I look at it and I th- it does look like it's a very elitist sport. So one that has a lot of, um, I guess, I would say like the main audience I've seen is like middle class, white middle class. Um, and how do, is if A, is that the case? And if so, how did it feel going into that? Um, I have to agree that a lot of it is quite sort of closed off in terms of a lot. Of, there's, a, there's only sort of one group of people that you'd associate with racing really. Yeah. And even when I went to watch the races, not many people from London or my background um, or anyone from like sort of, that isn't sort of white and middle class yeah 
there weren't many people there, if I'm honest. And during my training um, at the racing school, there was just me and my brother really that weren't white. And I think there was only there was one guy from Qatar, but he travelled from Qatar to get his license. Um, so there's quite a few international students that come um, here and there, but most of the people that were at the racing school training were just um, white white boys and white girls. And I guess it's trying to change that change that narrative though because I, I know growing up I that's the thought that I had of it and I therefore thought okay cool I don't see anyone that's like me therefore it's probably not for people like me but I guess you see that there's a benefit for everyone to get involved. To be fair that's never been my attitude like my attitude has always been if I can be good at a sport then I can show up everyone. It explains all the sports that she's going into. Yeah, exactly. um, so yeah, I just like it because I think sports is fun. Like, so why should it be a case that it should only be closed off to a certain group of people? Yeah. And also, like, the whole point of my documentary and my story really, and getting me into the racing industry, was to highlight the fact that you know it's open for everyone to try out um, and even though it's difficult um, to initially get in because of contacts and money, there are still people out there that were willing to support other people like me who want to get into the sport. And I think people have highlighted the fact that it's quite closed off, but that's not a case that the people within racing are opposed to other people coming in. It's just a case that it just hasn't been a case, it just hasn't been, it's just a case that people haven't really taken an interest. Yeah, and I guess it just hasn't been very visible. So I, I guess it's visibility and representation is also exactly. equally important. Is what we talk about a lot on this podcast is that I'm a big believer in that you have to see people to believe that you can do it in the long run. It's, and I guess for young people or young girls, seeing someone like yourself being in that kind of position, they're kind of like, you know what? It, if she's doing it, most likely I can do it. So I guess more than anything, it's opening that door and opening that conversation up for other people to get involved in exactly that that was the main sort of thing that i wanted to put forward in my documentary and there's lots of young people that are growing up and who could potentially be the next olympian or potentially be the new like the next grand national winner you never know there's lots of untapped talent yeah and it will it will make it diversifying sport will only make sport more entertaining and better and generally bring more people together and sport is about bringing people together as well as you know you know the actual sport itself so I think it's really important like what can be done within the sector by the governing bodies to ensure that those from disadvantaged backgrounds could have more access to your kind of sports I guess Um, there are there are multiple things that need to be done Um, and I've been asked this question by the Great British Racing Committee because they have they've been working towards trying to increase the diversity in rate. They've been working towards trying to increase the diversity in racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what m- my main suggestion was sort of so you know bringing more people on social media and um, potentially setting up sort of like like group activities and trips to get more people involved in going to watch the races because when I went to watch the races I was so like completely taken back with like how incredible you know how fast and like the atmosphere of racing it's like a football match but with horses going like nearly 45 miles per hour with jockeys like 
I think that's so cool and that I'm sure that there are many young people that would agree with me so I was thinking of trying to get groups together to go down like groups of people who wouldn't necessarily go to the races to go down to watch the races so I was given the opportunity to go to the Royal Ascot just to like spectate and watch as a fan yeah. but I couldn't get myself to go there because of the culture that's surrounded with horse riding and you know the, the, the alcohol and betting everyone's like if, you, if you're not going to drink alcohol not going to bet there's no point of you going that's a massive stigma that i think it's true when you do go to the races there are loads and loads of people drinking and a lot of people go there too bad but it shouldn't be the only reason why people go to the races just because you know the like a lot of people do it doesn't mean like it's it's what you should do yeah. and a lot of people have told me how can you be a jockey and ride races knowing that people go there to drink and to put place bets on races and my reply is always like I can't change that yeah. as much as I disagree with it it's not something that I can do much about um, but it's not going to stop me from doing what I love absolutely and like just because you know I, I love racing I'm not going to stop racing because of other people's actions I guess there's stereotypes about a lot of different sports you can mm -hmm. say football the stereotype about football is like people who are aggressive and drink at stadiums and it's hooliganism but when we we've been to plenty of football matches exactly, and it's actually yeah. not the case and yeah. it's kind of like it's trying to get rid of these stigmas that people have about these sports exactly. and kind of just saying to them you know what um that might have been one or two conversations you've heard or one or two things you've seen but there is actually a bigger side to each and every sport you go to and more than anything more sports are trying to be inclusive for people the same way that when you now go to football stadiums They've, they've still got space for everyone that wants to drink and they've still got space for everyone that wants to cheer their hearts out and be really loud but at the same time they've equally got areas for you know families and children to be at so it's trying to accommodate for as many people as yeah, possible. Yeah that's what I think they're starting to do now because they've highlighted that issue has been highlighted and they've made um, I think they're starting to develop a plan of trying to get a family sort of friendly area integrated within each race course so I think that's in its planning stages I'm not sure but I did um, suggest that to the main controlling bodies of racing. No, it, no, it's, it's amazing what you've done. It's amazing, like the story behind it. But tell us a little bit more about your documentary because it is now out for people to go and watch. Um, how was the process of filming that and getting that all together? And obviously, it does follow around your process of you know, learning, pretty much going from being a non-horse rider to suddenly going into a competition with ex-Olympians. So how does that go? Um, the documentary was definitely fun but also a bit weird yeah. because like you know it's I feel like it's difficult watching yourself on a TV screen or on any screen um, but seeing like the raw bits of my training because there were shots of me that I had to do like physical assessments and I was like Ugh. and then I had to watch it back and I was like um, and then there were bits where like I had phone calls after my assessment after I failed and then they had to record that bit too and they had to record every single bit of my journey so it's, it's, it's partly like it's amazing but at the same time it's a bit invasive because it's like yeah. you want to share the good bits but not the, the bad parts sometimes which is yeah it, but even so it was definitely worthwhile yeah and it was just a bit different having a camera crew following you around I mean <laughs> I love the guys that were um, filming um, at points it was a bit difficult because like I'd be knackered yeah. and they'd be like can we do that again please and I'm like no <laughs> um, but they captured some amazing bits of my story and I, I'm really really grateful that you know Ollie Bell my manager um, and the crew came together to make the 
documentary because if so I mean if if they didn't no one would really know the depth of my story really because it would have not been documented at all um, but yeah do you think the documentary and you being visible out there in the horse racing world has now brought a, a new fan base like so the people that would not normally watch horse racing to now be fans of the sport um, I feel like yeah I've been getting loads of messages from um, young girls that have not been really sort of they have not really had an interest in horses or horse riding they've been like how do I try it out and I'm like well this is this is exactly the response I wanted um, and yeah I feel like it's now developing a different crowd and I've even ended up talk talking and messaging people who have already been in the racing riding industry that I didn't realise like I've, I made a friend that rides at Nikki Henderson and she's um half Pakistani and half Bangladesh <laughs> and uh, she started she's been riding there for three years but she hadn't made it as a jockey she's just been work riding and she got in contact with me and I was like oh so there are young girls out there from different backgrounds who do train um, and it was just like a case of realising that there are other people out there and that there can be more so yeah it was interesting interesting response I think so but I think overall positive yeah Honestly, it's been amazing. I, I found out about it straight like off. I, I remember reading the story on the BBC just before you did your race. Um, so I know Miriam um, Walker Khan quite well, and she was the one that oh, yeah, yeah, shared she did my she, Yeah, she shared the story. And then obviously, I saw it post then. Um, but I guess it's one of those things is when you see people you identify with, you just support them off the back of because you identify with them, and you're kind of like, and it's like, oh yeah, I've totally got her back. I mean, I've got no idea what she's doing, <laughs> but I know she's gonna ace it. And it, it was that kind of like blind support kind that you have for people, just because you're like, you know what, I'm I'm so pleased that you know there's someone out there that's kind of as hot as you know cliche as a stereotype is, kind of going out and breaking way, way and making things happen. But I guess it's not just horse racing. Is horse racing is what you do, like. You're pretty much, which I find crazy, you still have the time to do this. It's like you're at university and you're doing engineering. <laughs> um, it's been a rough couple of weeks, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> university gets like that. Yeah. It really does. People said to me, first year is like, it's calm, Easy, yeah. first year is nah. fine. No, it isn't. Not for engineering students. I don't even get a reading week. What is a reading week? <laughs> what? You've been robbed. Uni is, uni is all about a reading week. You love a good re I don't actually think I did any reading in any of my reading weeks. Thing I did, but I yeah, mean, no reading weeks. It was just slap bang. You go do some maths. How? <laughs> what? What's the response been from um, friends? And I guess have you had like people at university that know this about you? But my fr my friends have always been like they always knew I was that weird horse riding crazy girl. Yeah. Um. And but like the fact that I won, they were like, yeah, that does not surprise me. That doesn't surprise me that she's got a documentary about her and her horses. Um, all the friends that knew me, they were like, they were really like happy and supportive of everything and proud of me, but they were always like, we already know, like, <laughs> it was going to happen at some point. It's <laughs> one of those things, your friends see your success a lot earlier and a lot I think before so, you I think do. So. Like, like, I, everything, I mean, I was obviously messaging all my friends through my training and I'd be posting about it and they'd be like, she's still on them horses. <laughs> and then they see the camera crew and they're like, oh, right, so now it's a thing now. Now she's got cameras with the horses. <laughs> um... And then I think after a while, they were just like, oh, she's got a little project going on. Yeah. And it just got to a point where I was like, oh, she's got a project going on. Okay. Um, and then when I did the race and then there was media attention, all my friends were like, oh, damn, she's doing that thing now. Like, it's a proper she's thing. She's a big deal. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, it was quite weird because I ended up making contact with people 
that heard my story, like old family friends and old, like family members from like Algeria that I hadn't spoken to in ages. That had <laughs> what, from Algeria. Yeah, <laughs> they're they wow. in Algeria and they got a Facebook message about my race and they were like, "That's my cousin." That is mad. Yeah, I ended up connecting with so many people. Worldwide, could you come on? <laughs> International. <laughs> that is. Um, but yeah, and I ended up talking to so many people that I hadn't spoken to in ages because they were like, "Was that you on the news?" And I was like, "Maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> the humbleness." Maybe. <laughs> so um, I've already spoken about your awards and all your accolades from this year. So Sunday Time Sports Young Sports Woman of the Year. That How was a was mad that? day. Listen, I cried. <laughs> listen, listen, <laughs> listen. I'm listening. <laughs> it was weird. I went with my sister, um, and then I bumped into Dina Ashesmith and. You know, Ellie Simmons just walked past me and I was like, what is going on? We're crying on? right now. Okay, no, no, okay, I, just, I, just, I just want you to stop that's, for a minute cool. because you know who I bump into? I bump into my mum on the high street. <laughs> <laughs> I bump into my dad. I bump into like my friend Hannah. I bump into like, I do not bump into Dina Asher Smith. Like, what in exactly. the world? And then, oh my God. Um, and then she obviously got her award. Yeah. And she mentioned me in her speech and I just broke down I just what? cried no because okay so I got my award and like it took me by surprise because I've been nominated for two awards so far and none of them I got yeah. and then the Sunday Times I did get and I was like whoa I actually I'm getting an award wait what <laughs> and then I I got my award said my pathetic speech because it was so bad <laughs> and then um I left the stage and had a, a quick interview and then I went to sit back down with my sister and my sister started like messaging everyone taking photos and then Dina Asher Smith is getting her award and then she she was like yeah I'm really glad to finally Kid- meet Kitty Jamela and I was like what? She me? knows your name? <laughs> what? Me? <laughs> and then I just started crying and then she's like why are you crying? And I was like oh my god <laughs> you're an Olympian <laughs> I've got that list <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was so probably casual. like. <laughs> so casual. I cannot believe it now. And then I, I, I bumped into this other Paralympic athlete. She's an absolute like legend, um, but she's my age, so it was really cool. Um, and her name is Alice Ty. Alice Ty is actually like a golden girl. I, I she's her, so lovely. I met her once before. She's been collecting awards for time. I, I, what I find mad is that like, nobody really knows about. I know how amazing this girl. Like, it's because she's so quiet and humble about herself. I'm like sis. You better scream it from the rooftops. I'll scream you it are. for you. Yeah, exactly. I was like, you're doing biz. You're doing amazing. Yeah. And because I bumped into her a couple of times at these different events, I ended up making friends with her. And I talked to her a lot. And only now do I realise how much of a big deal she is. Because she, she's so, like, humble about it. But, yeah. yeah. I've been meeting so many incredible people. Um, and, yeah, it just feels so weird. Because, like, I mean, I bumped, in, I bumped into... I met Katrina Johnson-Thompson as well at the BBC Sports <laughs> Personality event. And I was like, oh my God, I remember watching you like do your thing on the Olympics when I was young. <laughs> Ten, <you know. laughs> when I was young. And I was like, I cannot believe that I'm now in the flesh talking to you like we're equals. Cause it's just, you're an Olympian. We're not, <laughs> it just doesn't feel you like we're equals. You just walk around to me like, we're not equal guys. You're all Olympians. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not but you are level. like, I literally, I, I think it's one of those, you've got like, you kind of describe it to me what imposter syndrome is. Like you're sat there, like I shouldn't be here, but I am. And it just crazy. felt so weird because a year ago, my main concern was will I make, make will I make it through my A levels to see another day. Like I, I never thought <laughs> I'd be chilling. So I just I find it crazy that we at one point in our lives all thought that A levels was going to be the death of us. Like. Exactly. And I was going through my A levels like, you know, if I don't pass these, what am I going to do with my life? 
And then you did all right. I mean, considering you did okay. Um, And I was like, will I pass math? Like that was my main concern. Where where am I going to go to uni? And then the the idea now that I'm going to go to these awards and be given these crazy dresses to wear, like it just felt so weird. I know your outfits were on fleek. Fuck me up. (laughs) Epoch, epoch is where it's at. Gotta love Prudence. She's a lovely woman. No, it's, it's really good, and I'm I love it. I I want you to keep winning awards. So, okay, so we can't talk about all the awards we've been to without um, BBC Sports Personality of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not talking about it because <laughs> I'm not talking about it because you were there. I'm just talking about the greatest internet meme to come off the back of it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to link it to the podcast. I don't know if we should, but I'm going to do it anyways because I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I mean, could you, so can you just confirm job. what went down? Okay, so they were just announcing sort of like highlights of the year and she went, <laughs> it went from like the world's strongest man to me and then he was. she was like, and now here we have the first jihab hijab wearing jockey and I was like what <laughs> since what <laughs> I was dying I was on Twitter my no, feed was full of is, it yeah, go on. the thing is you, I didn't hear exactly what she said all I heard was a stumble and I was like oh it's fine whatever like she's human um, and then when I got home the next <laughs> when I woke up the next day I was like wait why am I on like Urban TV. Urban <laughs> it was <TV>. everywhere. <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of people that send me that meme and they're like, "Can you believe it?" No, I was just I got mad like a mad amount of messages on Twitter and I was like, "What's going on here?" And then I opened my Twitter account and there was just like reaction videos of my my like little clip on BBC and I was like, "Wait, what?" That's me. I'm a meme. I got so guessed about the meme, I forgot what was going on. Okay, but okay, we're, we're laughing about it now. Which, but how how was that? Like, how did you, I mean, because obviously you didn't hear it at that point. But how was it? When I listened to it again, I just thought it was so funny. Like, I still think it's funny. Before I was like, it's just kind of, it really raised. A, like, I know she made a mistake. She yeah. was just trying to say jockey in her job, and it just turned into job and like i feel like which is very close to something else <laughs> that we don't want to talk about yeah and it was obviously misinterpreted as jihad um but <laughs> i feel like yeah. i feel like <laughs> i don't know for sure what her intentions were but i'm gonna assume the best in people and that she made a mistake and she yeah. did apologize about it um yeah. afterwards but it could be a case that we hear so much on the news that you know muslim islam is always associated with jihadist group or ISIS and you know jihadists that yeah. it becomes like a sort of like a subconscious a subconscious thing yeah. yeah that you just associate Muslim and Islam with jihad um, I don't know I don't I'm not a psychologist so I can't really break down her <laughs> thought process there uh, I, I honestly think it was an honest mistake but yeah, it, was so a, it was a very funny it was just a very not ti- like not well timed at all mistake I, I thought it was absolutely hilarious I thought it was hilarious too all my friends I did feel for you though because I kind of saw your face turn a bit and I was like I don't know if she's worked out or that she's just <laughs> like you know it was one of those like she was introducing you so I thought maybe we were just kind of bringing you a kind of like speaking but yeah I, I did like I was like ooh uh, oh, smile away! Oh, yeah, literally. That was um, that was quite a moment. It's quite funny. All my friends found it hilarious. How was the rest of the experience though? And um, that's what I'm saying. That day was incredible. Like just again, just chilling with Katrina Johnson Thompson after the um, 
because obviously there was the main event yeah and then afterwards there was like a social type thing going on and like ben stokes was just we had a chat and i was like this is not happening um obviously i'm I bumped into so many incredible sports persons you do you need like Bill a Gates as well? No, like casual, no? Just, I don't know. I, no, I, it was a I busy just, night. <laughs> do you need like a plus one to one of these? Like I'm um, available. My my schedule is really flexible. My <laughs> well, like, your mum already knows me. You might as well get me along. You know it is. I don't know. You know it's quite far, isn't it? Isn't it like when I'm going to plus one? Aberdeen or something like that. It was in Aberdeen. Yeah, I think that's quite far. You take me. Yeah, we'll go together. You find your own place if I. I'm going there. No, but I'm. I'm. I think Haviland's plus one. (laughs) 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 No, but I think it was an incredible kind of end for you for the year anyway, in terms of all the successful stuff that you've done throughout the year. But going forward, because. As much as I say, I don't know how you're going to top all of that. I feel like the only way you can top it is just to go on and win loads of races after that. But um, I don't know. What are your plans? Because I know you're in university and it can't be easy doing both. But how? what are your plans moving forward? Um, obviously, going into races and winning them is easier said than done. Um, lots and lots of jockeys. They ride horses. Um, like, I don't know, five, six horses a week. Maybe two or three a day. Yeah. And it may just be that they only get two winners a week. Like, it it's, it all varies. It depends. Um, the jockey industry is quite difficult like that. Um, but it's a very full-time sport. You have to be in it full-time to sort of become a proper jockey. And because of uni and, you know, trying to keep up with everything, I just don't think it's going to be feasible in the next two years or, th- or so to actually become a proper jockey and carry on. I do, I do keep riding, though. Um, I've been going to different yards... I've gone back to see Haviland and I've ridden Haviland. Um, but I want it to be something that I just keep doing because I enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed the competition, obviously, because that was great. But I feel like if I keep doing that and work, keep training at that level, I'm not really going to enjoy it. Um, I do plan, hopefully, in the future to take, to take a licence after my university um, and maybe do some races then when I've graduated. But I just don't want it to affect my education because... That's something that I've always worked towards. I've always wanted an engineering degree, and I, like I love racing and horses, but I'm not gonna let it get in the way. If you know what I mean? Yeah, no. I think you're making a very sensible grown-up choice there, in terms of um, wanting to put your education first now. And it doesn't take away from the experience you have, and it doesn't take away from the skill set that you have in terms of um, being such a good horse rider as such. But, and I think more than anything, we always say it: we're, we're still in football, not because we're we're going to be professionals anytime soon, but we're in football. Who knows? Who knows? Jamie Vardy, you know. <laughs> Sorry. He was a late bloomer, so oh, okay. anything can happen. Late right, <laughs> bloomer, what? Like 25, 26? Is that what you're heading? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but I guess like we always say we're in football because we just we just love football. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, for us, it's just having the odd kick about here and there. It's just as important as, you know, going out to watch games on a regular basis. But I guess if you're involved, it's always going to be good. Yeah. And I... I'm determined to keep in touch with the racing industry, so I'm definitely going to keep going to the races and keep up with sort of like sort of keeping a public, you know, keeping the public involved in my love for racing. So I'm going to keep going to the races and hopefully get more involved with uh, Great British Racing and try and do some work with them. I feel like we could just keep talking forever because yeah. it's just 
a your story is incredible and b we just have so much to talk about in terms of like the sport you're doing how it's bringing other people into it. but i guess for you what's kind of one piece of advice you have giving to kind of out the audience or i guess or i guess for, if a young person was to come to you today and be like what advice would you give me going forward in sports in general or like yeah. horse riding it can be whatever you want it to be oh right um, look at dj mella remember <laughs> <laughs> um to be fair if i was given advice when i was going through secondary school in sixth form um it'd probably be to stick at whatever sport i love because I started dropping out of sports to focus on my education, which is obviously great, but it then affected my mental health loads. And then I ended up like having a really rough ele- year 11 and year 12. Um, also, social pressures, like at, for me, because g- I went to a private school and it was a really small girls' private school and all the girls, were, like most of them were nice, but they were all very judgmental. And I feel like just don't let that get to you because in the end, you're going to move on to do better and bigger like bigger and better things yeah i was part of a cricket team um in like year eight and nine and we did really well and we got to the like we came third in the london youth games and it was such a great team and then by like year 10 everyone had dropped out and it was just really sad because i really wanted to carry on but because my team had all stopped it meant that i couldn't carry on um so yeah if i could give any advice to any young girls playing sport please stick at it not only for yourself but for your team because you never know what you know what doors will open like when you get older and you never know you may end up like even though you may not be good at it at the time over time you could end up being really good at it and you may you may make a living out of it or just meet some incredible people like i met some engineers that gave me work experience through some of the sports events that i went to so you never know who you're going to bump into at these events so just stick at it yeah and I think that's what's really important is that there is this whole pressure to I guess in school when you're quite young to just do academics is seen as the way forward in life which it is um, but for some people it's not really the case and there's lots of different ways to be successful and sometimes sports is that way and it's not necessarily just through um, competing there's lots of other ways to get into sports exactly yeah, yeah like you could become someone who manages a sporting club or you know there's so many different roles in sport and you know, you could become, like, to do media, you could go into sort of publicity for different... Like, there's so many different things. Yeah. Just don't... My, my thing is, I always say, is just, just don't make a permanent decision based on, like, a temporary feeling. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's literally the most important thing ever. Yeah, so just because, <coughs> at, like, when you're quite young and you, and you feel like it, it's not going well for you or you feel uncomfortable, that's not the end result like it's you're going to come out of that part but don't decide to just quit something based on that feeling and I guess that carries on to adulthood and it carries on to whenever you leave school or whenever you leave university it's just don't make any decisions based on temporary feelings yeah that is so important and also just grabbing every opportunity you can because that's exactly what I done because I knew that you know if I'm if I'm going to let these things pass there's no real there's no there's no real um, like I can't be sure that there'll be another amazing opportunity around the corner to sort of like make up for what I've just missed and it's just so important to grab every opportunity by the horns like if you gave up <coughs> during that test before you succeeded the second time round I would have never raced exactly you or if not. I gave up because I fell off a horse early on in the year last year and broke my <laughs> broke my coccyx and I couldn't walk um, and then uh, two weeks later they were like do you want to race and I was like 
but I can't walk. <laughs> Weird enough, that was my first experience of horse riding. I fell off a horse when I was about nine, and it was like, and it wasn't even like racing or anything like that. Someone was actually oh, yeah, holding no, onto no. it, and I fell off, and then like I dislocated my elbow, and I refused to ever go back on one. Yeah, so no. I could have been pro, guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> That could have been worse. I let you have everything. You know, got to. Yeah, no. We, two weeks before I started my training, I just couldn't walk, and then they were like, "What do we do?" Because oh the the only person they could get into the race was me from my riding club, because yeah. it had to be someone who was female that was over eighteen, and I was the only eighteen year old at my club that was a girl. Oh god. <laughs> so then they were like, "Uh, what do you do now?" And I was like, "Just I, I'll start walking soon, and I'll I'll get back on the horse. Don't worry." And yeah. they were like, "Will you get back on the horse?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Khadija, for being on. It's been no, so it's good. Been my pleasure. We've had it. fun. Of course. Always fun on the podcast. Always laughs and giggles and little... Um, and you know what? We're going to add in all your socials so that people can follow you. Not like you need any more followers, but you know. You know um, <laughs> shout out to us and all that. And obviously, as I promised, I'm going to put in that meme because it was the funniest. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let that go. And a link into your documentary. So if anyone's not watched your documentary, they can go yeah, and watch it's it. ITV Hub. It is on ITV Hub and it's a very good documentary to watch. But thank you guys, as always. Thank you very much. And you've been listening to I Think She's Offside with myself, Fadumo. And Nipa. And our new guest, Kitty Jamala. Way. <laughs> and we'll see you very soon. Bye. Bye.